You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints, the Lord Jesus has arranged things in this life so that we receive through the institution of the family life, earthly life, and so that we receive eternal life through the institution of the church. In the family, our mothers give birth to us, and in the church, the Holy Spirit, through the Word, gives us new birth. And we're going to talk about both these things today. First, moms. We try to be careful here at Hope Lutheran Church, both Pastor Flamey and I, to make sure that the Scriptures are driving the conversation, and so we often let a lot of the civil and public holidays pass without too much mention. But... When our culture decides to give an entire day over to celebrating one of the Ten Commandments, then we say, well, we could play along with that. (laughs) In fact, our culture, and this is really quite wonderful, has taken the Fourth Commandment and split it in two, given us two days to meditate on the commandment. Honor your father, that's Father's Day, and honor your mother, that's today, Mother's Day. So we rejoice that in all of the gifts of this life, there is, at the top of the list, your father and your mother. In pain, your mother bore you, according to the words spoken to Eve in Genesis. And not just the pain of your own birth, but you know the pain and turmoil that you caused your own parents as you were growing up, or as you continue to grow up. (laughs) And yet your mother loved you with an astonishing love. I think this is almost always universally true, almost universally true, that this tremendous gift that the Lord Jesus gives to mothers, this deep and unwavering love for their children. If the mother or the child must suffer, then mom will suffer. She'll take all the suffering if she can to protect her children. If the mother or the child must die, there's no question for mom, no hesitation. I'll die. Let the child live. And this love and this compassion is unparalleled. When Simeon the prophet stands in the temple and looks at Mary with her baby Jesus and speaks of his death, he also speaks to Mother Mary and says, a sword will pierce your own heart also. You see, such is the love of a mother for the child that that the suffering and death of the child is probably worse for the mom than it is for the child that suffers. And some of you know that. Some of you know it better than you should. Now, it's for reasons like this that nature and the world teach us to love our mothers and to buy them chocolate. (laughs) But there's something even more for us Christians. Because we can see even beyond the gift of love that our moms have for us, and we can recognize that our mothers are in fact God's gifts to us that God gives mother and father. So that even if we have a mom that's not good or loving or compassionate towards us, we are still able to recognize them as gifts from God given to us by the same hands that were nailed to the cross to forgive all of our sins. And this is why in the church, the fourth commandment is not love your father and your mother, but honor your father and your mother. 
Now, honor certainly includes love, but it goes beyond love. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Here's, here it is from Luther in the large catechism. To this estate of fatherhood and motherhood, God has given the special distinction above all estates that are beneath it, that He, God, not simply commands us to love our parents, but to honor them. For with respect to brothers, sisters, and our neighbors in general, He commands nothing higher than that we love them. So He separates and distinguishes father and mother above all other persons on earth and places them at His side. For it is a far higher thing to honor than to love one, inasmuch as it comprehends not only love, but also modesty, humility, and deference as to a majesty there hidden, and requires not only that they, parents, be addressed kindly and with reverence, but most of all, that both in heart and with the body, we so act as to show that we esteem our parents very highly." and that next to God we regard them as the very highest. For one whom we are to honor from the heart, we must truly regard as high and great. So far, Luther. You see, for the, for the Christian then, honoring our father and our mother grows out of our faith, our trust in God's Word. In fact, it is an act of service to God. We we are not only giving our mothers the respect and affection that they have earned from their love for us, but we are also giving thanks to God for our mothers as His gifts, knowing that He does all things well and that our moms are put in that office by God. Now, Adam shows this example to us when he gives uh, Eve the name Eve. Remember how it was. Eve had taken the fruit, listened to the devil, doubted God's word, taken the fruit, eaten the fruit, given the fruit to Adam, and he ate, and all hell broke loose, and the world was plunged into darkness and death, and God comes along and finds them hiding in the bushes with the devil. And, he, and, he, and, and God promises, you know, this is wonderful. We, just kind of passing over it quickly. But God promises to die for their sins and to forgive them and clothes them in skin. And then he removes them from the garden. And now it's time for Adam to give a name to Eve. Now, if it were me there in that place, I would have probably given Eve a name like trouble. <laughs> or mistake. Or sin. Or perhaps the most appropriate name to give to Eve would have been death. (laughs) But look, Adam calls his wife Eve, which means life. And says, you are the mother of all the living. Now, there's more to this, especially the fact that the Lord had promised that the Messiah would be born from Eve, the seed of the woman. And Adam knows that one of Eve's children would destroy the devil. But Adam calls her the mother of all of the living. And he gives to Eve and to all the Eves after her, that is to all mothers, this beautiful crown and adornment, mother of the living. (laughs) Giver of life. And we honor mothers in the same way. And, I suppose, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, we begin then to not only honor all mothers, but especially our own mothers. 
So we'll write them a note today. (laughs) Or if they're in heaven, we'll say a prayer of thanksgiving to God for them and rejoice as gifts from God that they are. Now this is really quite wonderful. But it also reminds us that in this business of family, in the estate of the family, in the whole realm of father and mother and child and home, we remember that, that none of this can, in fact, save. We cannot be redeemed through the family. And in fact, some of our own, and you know this, I don't even need to tell you, but to remind you, I suppose, some of our most profound sin and failure is precisely in our homes, the vocations that the Lord has given us there, the command to honor our father and our mother, the command for, to care for our spouse and our children. And we see in all of these places that we're sinners. And while this earthly life goes on in our homes, we find ourselves growing more and more because of our sin, completely unworthy of eternal life unfit for the glory of God. So we rejoice this morning that the Lord has for us not only the gift of earthly life from our mothers, but also the gift of eternal life through the Holy Spirit in the Lord's church. In fact, we can rightly speak of the church as the Holy Mother Church, the mother of us all. Now, I think this probably sounds to your ears, you can smile if it's true, this sounds to your ears like it's very Roman Catholic to say, Holy Mother Church. Okay, I see it. I'm right. So I'm going to give you a few more lines from the large catechism. This is Luther talking about the third article of the Creed. If you are asked, what do you mean by the words, I believe in the Holy Ghost? You can answer, I believe that the Holy Ghost makes me holy, as his name implies. But how does he accomplish this? Or what are his methods and means to this end? Answer, By the Christian church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. For in the first place, He, the Holy Spirit, has a peculiar congregation in the world, which is the mother that begets and bears every Christian through the Word of God. That's Luther. Which He reveals and preaches, and through which He illumines and enkindles hearts that they understand, accept it, cling to it, and persevere in it. So we rejoice that the Holy Spirit works in the church to give us eternal life. And this is exactly what Jesus promised to us in the Gospel reading. Remember, we've been in John 16 for a couple of weeks. A couple more weeks will be in this text uh, in the Gospel readings. The, The context is that Jesus is going to die, and then He's going to be raised, and He's going to ascend to the Father's right hand, And from there, he's going to send forth the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. And Jesus outlines for us in the Gospel reading today what the work of the Holy Spirit will be. Here's the words. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus outlines the threefold work of the Holy Spirit, and that is to convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. First, sin. 
We are by nature completely blind to our sinful condition. As close, I think as close as we can get to confessing our sin according to our nature is something like this. Well, I guess I've made mistakes. I haven't done everything right that I should have done. But still, by our own sinful nature, we confess and really do believe that we are generally good people who try to do the right thing. So according to our fallen nature, we are so broken that we don't know how broken we are. The church fathers used to compare original sin to leprosy. Remember, one of the problems with leprosy is that you, you lose your, your feeling, your, sense, your, your, your nerves are dead, so that if, you're, uh, if you have leprosy in your hand, you could cut off a finger and you don't even know it, which is why you don't let the, the people with leprosy prepare the salad, you know, you end up with a... You, you see the point, I mean, sorry, that was, you, you, you can't, you can be so injured that you don't know how injured you are. And the church fathers spoke this way about our own sinful condition. We've fallen so far that we don't know how broken we are. We sin and we don't feel it. The depth of our sin is hidden from us. So that the first act of the Holy Spirit, the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin our sin from the Scriptures. So the Holy Spirit comes to us with God's Word to, to expose us, not only to the complete failure of the things that we've done, our complete failure to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our complete failure to love our neighbor as ourselves, but also to show us that we are corrupt to the core and that we are rightly the object of God's wrath. If the Holy Spirit does not teach this to us, we can never learn it. But the Holy Spirit comes in the preaching of the law to show this to us. That we're the enemies of God. And that we deserve His wrath. But, God be praised, this is only the first work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and of righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father. The death and resurrection of Jesus has won for us the forgiveness of all sins. Christ is our righteousness. And He has prevailed against your sinful flesh and against all of your sins. And Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, pleading our case. And the Father hears the Son and declares us righteousness. And and Jesus sends from the heavenly throne room the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to convict us. The same thing that Jesus speaks before the Father. That we are righteous. So, dear saints, the Holy Spirit is here today convicting you of righteousness. That is, speaking to you of the death of Jesus in your place. The resurrection of Jesus to win you life. The blood of Jesus which purchased your redemption. The Holy Spirit is here Convicting you of righteousness when He forgives you all of your sins and you are forgiven. Now, just like we could not know the depth of our own sin apart from the work of the Spirit and the Word, so we could never know the depth and height and width and breadth of God's love for us apart from the Spirit and the Word, where the very heart of God is revealed to us in the death of Jesus. 
It's here that the Holy Spirit teaches you of a mercy that knows no limits, of a kindness that has no bounds, of the grace of God that comes to us, completely undeserved, unearned, and unexpected. It is the work of giving to us the gospel, the free forgiveness of all of our sins, so that when you hear, dear friends, that your sins are forgiven, you are hearing the work of the Holy Spirit doing the very thing that Jesus promised, convicting the world of righteousness. And then there's a third work. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment. Now, this sounds at first a little bit worrisome, like we had law and then gospel, and then now it's back to the law. But listen to Jesus explain it. He will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The judgment of the Holy Spirit is not your judgment. It's the devil's judgment. His overthrow, the crushing of His head when Jesus accomplished on the cross with His triumph over the devil, making a public spectacle of the devil's kingdom. For this reason, the Son of God was was manifest, that He might overthrow the works of the devil. He has done it. And now the Holy Spirit convicts you, gives you this confidence that the devil has been overthrown. So think about it. But what does the devil have on you? What authority does he have over you? You, you? Can he hold your sin against you? Your sins are forgiven. Can he hold you in bondage with the fear of death? Judgment and the sting of death has been taken away so that for us to die is gain. The forgiveness of your sins frees you from the devil's dominion. He has been judged and you have been forgiven. This is the work of the Spirit to convict you of the judgment of the devil. And when the Holy Spirit does this, when He does His work that Jesus sends Him to do with us, we rejoice. Because in His Word and in His work, we are born again, born from above, set free, given new life, which will never end with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, dear saints, we rejoice and praise the Lord for His gifts today. We praise God for the gifts of this earthly life, most especially for the gift of our families, and most especially for the gift of our mother. And we praise God for the gift of heavenly, spiritual, and eternal life, which He gives us in the Word and Spirit, a life that has no end. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.